0: My name is Dorothy, and now we'll be reading today's scripture from the book of Hosea, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all our sins and graciously receive us, so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods, no. In you alone do the orphans find mercy. The Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like rain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, to Church. Good morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm the pastor this year. It's one of those Sundays when you hear a testimony, you're like, we just end worship here, right? You know, we just like sing the songs and worship the Lord, pray and go on. Uh, But we also believe in the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our sermon series in uh, Minor Prophets, 12 Minor Prophets, as they say. And last week we looked at Prophet Hosea, the greatest love story of how the prodigal ran away from uh, his lover. And the lover runs after Um, the prodigal, and how that showed us, not only preached to us God's love for us, but also demonstrated for us what God's love looks like. Even those who run away from the Lord, God chases after them. And on the heels of this personal testimony that comes from Hosea, we get to chapter 4 through 14. Church, there are times when we need to dig deep into certain verses of the Bible and parse it out. Uh, They used to say, uh, pastors go to seminary to make simple things complicated so that the complicated things can be spoken to you simply, right? I'm like, how does that work? But that's what we did. So there are times when we need to parse out different words of the Scripture, but there's also times when we need to do the flyover, the magic carpet moments, right? When you study the, the, the breadth of the Scripture to get an overarching theme of what it has to say, and today that's what we're going to do. We're going to cover chapter 4 through 14, And I promise you, it's not going to be an hour. And I know some of you are like, okay, NFL starts today, Pastor, come on. We'll get there. We'll get there. But we're going to do a flyover from Hosea chapter 4 through 14, covering the mind of prophet Hosea. In her memoir about her struggles with cancer at age 35, everything happens for a reason. Writer, Kate Baller, the assistant professor of Duke Divinity School wrote, you should never say to a dying cancer patient. And she said, never say this to a dying cancer patient. It's going to get better, I promise. She says, why? Because, well, fairy godmother, that's going to be a tough road to hoe when things go badly. Well, That's going to be a tough road to hoe when things go badly. I think that's a danger for many of us when it comes to sin. First of all, there are many places that do not talk about sin even at churches at times. We shy away from calling sin, sin. We often try to say, well, that's our circumstances, or that's something our preferences, perhaps, or even that's our blind spots we will use. And those are not bad things to say, but we often gloss over sin when the Bible is very clear that God stands against sin. Prophet Hosea doesn't do this. He rather gets straight to the point and reveals what really is happening in the lives of people, a nation of Israel at the time. Not only through showing of his life, but now the prophet does what he's called to do. Preach the word of God to the group of people that are walking away from the Lord. And he does that by showing them what sin is and how sin affects them and how false repentance Meaning, how fake repentance, where we pretend to be sorry for our sin, leads to destruction. And he points us to the infectious love of God that draws out right repentance, just like what we read today. Because Hosea's message is very clear. He's saying people have rejected God, they've ran away from the Lord, just like Gomer has done. But God's call for them is to bring them back into the fold. Of God. Don't be like the Israelites, Jose is saying, who ran away from the Lord. Not only so, when the trouble comes, they run to other people. At this point, Kingdom of Assyria, the large superpower at the time, thinking they will save them. In fact, they actually become the means where they're taken to the exile. But God, despite their sin, says, Come back, my children, run towards me instead of running away. From your sins. And that's what we see in these chapters 4 through 14. I'm going to quickly unpack this for us together in how God sees sin, and how God sees the sinner, and how God sees our hearts in the midst of it all. And first thing we see is that God absolutely hates sin. God absolutely hates sin. Church, I'm a diehard Cubs fan. Meaning, if any of you wear St. Louis Cardinal red, I detest you. Because I grew up like that, right? I grew up to not like Cardinals. I know there are Cardinals in this room. Please change your shirt, right? All right. I can't. Let's lower. Let's pray. But there are Yankees, Red Sox, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State Family League would not refer to the team in the north. They would say Um, Auburn, Alabama, UNC Duke. This list goes on and on and on about the hatred towards each other, especially the football season coming up as well. We often place Satan against God in the popular culture to say here's Satan, there's God, and lots of movies that come out, the scary movies, especially if you watch the TV at night. And we think that Satan is against God, but in actuality, when we look at the scripture, Satan is not that powerful. Satan is actually not against God. In fact, if you look at Revelation, you know what happens? You're anticipating this great war that happens, right? God versus Satan, God versus Satan. And then when God shows up, when Jesus shows up, the battle is over. There's not even a fight. He just shows up and they're done for. So it is actually not Satan versus God that we ought to worry about. What we ought to look at in the Scripture, what Scripture teaches us, is God versus sin. God hates sin because when we see the scripture, it is very clear that God is just God. God is righteous God, meaning He is anti sin. Overall, sin basically declares that they are anti God. You know that? When we sin, we don't merely do, oops, I did it again, just as Britney Spears once said. That's not what we're doing in sin. Rather, when we sin, what we do is we declare to the Lord, I hate God. I wish you were dead. Is actually what we're doing in our sin. So therefore, it is impossible in God's nature not to hate sin. I know there are youth that are sitting here, and I want you to be very clear on this. I don't want to water down any of the teaching of the scripture because God does not like sin. Even the sins, small sins in our mind, God absolutely hates and detests sin. And Hosea gets right to that. And Hosea defines sin for us in chapter 4 as a sin of commission, which is sin as it states sins that you do, you commit. Also a sin of omission, a sin that you do by not doing what you're supposed to do. I'm going to fly through scriptures. Hopefully, you'll be up here, here and there. So don't, yeah, you can flip through the Bible all you want, but then it's going to be real quick flyover, just like the magic carpet moments, right? But sin of commission, Hosea says this in Hosea chapter 4 two. You make the vows and break them. You kill and steal and commit adultery. Chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. And later it says, Since you have forgotten the law of your God. Chapter four twelve says they ask for a piece of wood for advice. Hear this guys, this is the most hilarious depiction of idolatry. They ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Longing for after idols, they have made them foolish. They have played the prostitute. He says, and that's just that. Sin is an action of heart condition that goes against God. Hosea calls this spiritual prostitution. It is hating our neighbors. It is putting others down. This is pride, adultery, addiction, pornography, you name it. This is self-centeredness where everything is about you. This is sin of commission, and Israel was guilty in associating with idols and practices of nations around them. That's one type of sin, Hosea says. But there's another type of sin, thats sin of omission. A little bit tricky for us because this is sin caused by not doing what you're supposed to do. Because many of us will say, we're good people. I don't do this. I don't do that. We do not practice any of the above that we just mentioned, at least come close to it. But Bible speaks not only of the sins that you commit, but sins that you omit, sins, things that you don't do that you're supposed to do. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you, saying there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Chapter 4, verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Your priests refuse to know me. You have forgotten the law of your God. Chapter 5, verse 7, they have betrayed the honor of God, bearing children that are not his. Now their false religion will devour them along with their wealth. You see, sin of omission is faithlessness. There is no love, no desire for knowledge of God. It is act and condition of the one who shows no sign of love of God. It is absent-minded father who zones out at the dinner table, emotionally unavailable spouse. It is neglect, lack of love, lack of condition of the heart. There, I say sin of neglect is when our brothers and sisters are killed on the streets and you turn a blind eye. You don't care about the news coming out of Jacksonville. Your heart doesn't break for those that break of death in Morocco. You don't look at the marginalized, the persecuted, the hatred, and you often want to keep your own place in this world. That is church, according to Scripture, sin of omission, because you don't love your neighbor. May I offend you, church. Church often is at the head of the sin. Both sin of commission and omission declares to the Lord this morning, I hate God. Sin at its heart, at the center, is all about my order of life, my well-being, my, dare I say, comfort, things I want to hear, things that tickle my ear, that brings me peace. I could check off and go home and feel good about myself. Oh, church of Christ, that is sin. Scripture simply teaches us, according to Hosea, that Israel was not meant to be self-centered. Do you know that? They were God's chosen. They were to display God, the Creator's characteristics. They were to be a light that shines so the nations will come and see who this God is that they serve and not to be self-centered in their desires. And that is true of us today as well. The Bible tells us that you and I are made in the image of God. When you bear the name of Christ, God is the one who determines how you and I ought to live. Because God is God and will not. And you and I are created to be worshipers. Let me dispel this notion for us that we choose to come to worship on Sunday. No, absolutely not. He doesn't need that. He could make the rocks cry out, It says, right? But he chooses to come and fellowship with us. And he wants to hear from you. So when you make the choice to come to church on Sunday to worship the Lord, lift your hands and praise the Lord, that is grace. It is God's kind gesture to bring sinners into His place, to redeem them, to change them, so you can become people you're meant to be. It is not merely a choice you make to come. It is grace of God compels you to come, and now He brings you closer to Him. O oh, church of God, this is God's heart. Chapter 5, verse 15 says, Then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and return to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search For me, In chapter 5, God says, I will bother their conscience like moth, in chapter 5, verse 12. In chapter 5, verse 14, it says, I'll be like a lion. They will not only bother their conscience, but also bring judgment upon Israel. He does this so that Israel will be desperate to seek after the Lord. And that's grace, God says. And that's the grace of God. That's the warning that God also gives to church today. We could shy around this by saying, well, God will be good to you. God will do all these things for you. But Lord, we have heard this, and you could testify this too. Our lives are not full of joys at times. As one pastor said, God does not promise safe travels in your journey. But God promises that he will be with you. And God promises that he will take you. And God promises that through the valleys of shadow of death, through the mountaintops, that he will be with you. And God will rescue you. And that's the heart. That's the heart of God. That God hates sin, and he absolutely hates the fact that we are drenched in sin this morning. And you know what it says, too? Not only God hates sin, it's going to be hard to hear, but God hates sinners, too. I grew up listening to this one pastor who said, God hates sin, but loves the sinner. And so I'm like, don't hate the player, right? Hate the playing, don't hate the player. And I'd be like, all right, that sounds great. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner, That sounds great, but that's only half right. You know that? Because sin is so intertwined with you, right, with the person. Because you are a sinner, you sin. And we believe this in Reformed theology. We say total depravity, meaning every fiber of your being, you're totally depraved. Isaiah talks about this. Even the best thing that you could bring to the Lord is like dirty diaper, he says, right? So because you're a sinner, you sin, and that's what separates it. And when we try to separate sin out of us, then we do a false repentance by saying, Well, well, that's the one that did it. And that's the sin of our forefathers, isn't it? Well, that's that serpent that made me do it. Oh, that's that woman that made me do it. Oh, that's the circumstances that made me do it. Oh, look at that crazy army outside the door, God. No wonder I'm gonna go to Assyrians to help me. We often separate sin from sinner. And that leads into false repentance. And Hosea calls that out in chapter 6 and 7. And he says, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He will injure us. Now he will us our wounds. In a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence or oh, that we may know God. Let us press on to know him who will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Here we see the false repentance Pictured in chapter 6 and 7, when they hear Hosea's warning, Hosea writes, this is what the picture is. Did you just hear that in chapters 6, 1 through 3? There's no reference to sin, right? Why did God tear them apart? Why is healing needed? There's no personal relationship that's pictured here. This is false response when sin is separated from the sinner. And chapter 8 through 10 talks more about what Israel's false re- repentance looked like. And Hosea describes it as chapter 14, uh, 8, verse 14, Israel has forgotten its maker and built great palaces, and Judah has fortified its cities. Therefore, I will send down fire in their cities and burn up their forest. In chapter 9, verse 17, Hosea warns, false repentance shows that sinners do not have God's presence in life. My God will reject the people of Israel because they will not listen or obey. There will be wondrous homeless among the nations. And ultimately, here, Hosea says, the heart of the false repentance, thinking that you're okay with God, by giving lip service, leads to a deceptive, fickle heart. Chapter 10, verse 2, the heart of the people are fickle. They're guilty and must be punished. The Lord will break down their altars and smash their sacred pillars. Heart that plays tricks on your heart. The word fickle can be translated here as deceptive and deceitful. In Hebrew word, which quite literally means it's smooth over. It's almost kind of saying, okay, you sinned, oh, you repented, it's fine, it's fine. God's got you. Oh, you came to church today, oh, you feel good about that. Good, good, good. God will watch over you as you take your exams this week, as you go on your job, as you apply. Oh, yeah, yeah. Smoothing it over, but not really dealing with the heart, the desire that led into sin. That's why here, Hosea does not merely call for lip service to the Lord or mere service of worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Rather, he calls for the heart-changing repentance. You know, repentance means turning away from where you're headed. It's not merely saying, oops, I did it again. I may feel like I'm going to get closer and closer. You know what's the number one question I get as a pastor? Pastor, is this sin? How far can I go until it becomes sin like am i okay here can you tell me i'm sinning or not that heart reveals to us we're gonna get to the line as close as possible before it becomes sin and punishment happens that's fear based that's false repentance of the heart if truly repentance sinner comes to the lord you know what they say i would dare not go anywhere close to the line of sin i'm running towards my heavenly father the line of sin is not in my sight because I'm not going closer and thinking, is this the line that I must not cross? Because my perspective is headed towards Christ. The line is not sin behind me. That's the heart of repentance. And that's what Hosea says in chapter 14. Return, O Israel, Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confession return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praise. Notice, it's not mere sacrifices that the Lord desires, but it is the worship of our hearts. Once you turn and look to the Lord and see yourself in light of God's glory, you cannot help but to worship Him, and that's what true repentance evolves. Acknowledgement of sin and also turn around in a full restoration of worship to the Lord our God. But the part of uh, the pastor who once said, God, hates sin but loves the sinner, part of that is true because Scripture teaches us that we are simultaneously sinner at the same time we're also fully loved by God. Yes, God hates sin, church. He absolutely hates sinners. But Scripture reminds us that He absolutely also loves the sinners. And that's true. In chapter 11, Hosea diverges a bit, showing how God dealt with Israel in the past, present and his desires for them in the future israel that is running away from the lord this is what god says to them when israel was a child i loved him when i called my son out of egypt but the more i called to him the further he moved from me offering sacrifice to the image of baal and burning incense to idols you see the concept of god as the father god is so clear to us because of christ in the new testament but for the Old Testament Jew, the idea that God, the creator, the mighty God, was a father is a radical revelation. In a world where only the kings were considered to be the sons of God, to see a nation to be called a sons of this creator God was a radical concept. And that's what Hosea is calling Israel to be. Not only to be a child of God, to be adopted into the family. And that's what we see in chapter 11, verse 8, because God's heart says, Oh, church, oh, Israel, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Abna or demolish you like Jeboam? My heart is torn with me, and my compassion overflows, and it leads to God's place for Israelites to return. And this is the gospel of uh, Hosea, where God says, Yes, your sin has pushed you away from me, but my love for you beckons you to come back. And verse 4 says, The Lord says, Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel's will blossom like lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedar in Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive tree, as fragrant as cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. Church, don't miss... miss- the gospel of Christ in the Old Testament through the hearts of Hosea. What God is telling Israel is that you have fallen away from the Lord, and you even gave lift service trying to win my favor, but this is grace of God. Though you may go on exile at the hand of Assyrians, I will promise to you that I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. I will be to Israel. You will be blossomed like lily. I will send roots deep into the soil like cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain, blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. And this is God's promise to the broken people that do not even know how to repent properly. God's promise is that He will not give them up. That's the grace. That's where we begin. And how much more that you and I are recipient of this. God in the Old Testament brings these Israelites back after an exile. But in the New Testament, this Old Testament God foreshadows Christ that will come. Christ who comes not only to forgive our sins, but to fully restore our relationship by placing the punishment of sin upon Christ And as he bears our sin upon the cross, when God declares on the cross, I hate sin as Christ died for them on the cross, you and I are forever loved. You and I are in the hearts of the Father as you receive him as your Savior. That's the gospel message that Christ preaches to us this morning. The heart of the Father, as we say, is what's present in Hosea as he beckons his people to come to serve the Lord. Today's ministry fair, and I was wrestling with this church thinking, you know, typically when a ministry fairs happen like this at church, a sermon about how we can serve one another is appropriate, isn't it? Or a sermon about, hey, you're gifted, you're talented, this is how God has equipped you, let's all serve is more warranted. Not a sermon about sin, not a sermon about you're a sinner, you're doomed to go to hell. That sounds like a fire and brimstone. Nobody wants to come back to church after that, right? But the reason why I felt like this was a purpose sermon for us today as we delve into a topic of sin that oftentimes is very difficult, especially these days, is because the gospel of Christ tells us when you see the depth of your sin, but you also see the depth of God's glory and how far you are from the glory of God, realizing that nothing that you could do, no matter how good of a person you are, no matter even the good services that we may sign up to do, can ever save you, then you become desperate for one thing and one thing only. And that's for Christ to save you. For Christ the Lord to restore you. And Christ the Lord to save you out of your depths. And when that happens, you cannot help but to love God and love others. And that's at the heart of what it means to serve others. It's not merely pulling things out of your heart to say, oh, I should do this. But because you're in love with the Lord so much, you cannot help but to love others. I think of testimony of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, who said, although at the end of his life says, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. Not a sermon that he heard 20 years ago. But he says, I'm a great sinner and Christ is great Savior. This is faith, a renouncing of everything we are apt to call our own and relying wholly upon the blood, righteousness, and the intercession of Christ. G. Campbell Morgan, British evangelist, said this about this text When God, in spite of sin, says, How can I give you up? My heart is stirred, my compassion is stirred, but I'm holy, how can I give you up? And yes, says, I will not give you up. I will not. I will not. We are in the presence of some possibility, holy of God. It must have been a great word of trembling and troubled heart even then in the times of Hosea. But our Bible does not end in Hosea. The name Hosea means salvation. I do not know who named him, the father or mother or both, in all probability, but they call that boy Hosea a sob and sigh and a song merging in name, there came one in the fullness of time whose name was Jehovah and Hosea, and his name is Jesus Christ. So in the fullness of time and glimpse and glimpse of glory broke out into the fully manifestation, and we found that at last in Christ how God can be just and justifier of a sinning soul. Oh, Church of Christ, God hates sin, and sinners who commit sin because that's the nature of justice. For our God loves and does not give up on sinners, just like you and I, because of his nature of love. And that's the gospel message that we ought to preach every Sunday through our ministries to our children, to our youth, and to everybody and to the watching world where you, O Church of Christ, place your trust in our Hosea, and our Jehovah Christ this morning. Let's pray. Father, that's our prayer as we gather to worship this morning, that, Lord, despite the sin and the sin that's grappling within us, we thank you, that Lord, that you have loved us. And while we're still sinners, you loved us. You gave your Son to die for us. And that's what this table represents for us as we come. Father, be with your people. Christ, let me pray. Amen.